Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning, and I, before I begin with this uh, message here, I just wanted to thank you so much uh, for your generosity for pastor appreciation. That was just, that was amazing, so thank you so much. Um, we're continuing our series here today uh, called Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Sunday School. These old stories that we learned when we were little kids, they were just great stories, from, especially from the Old Testament. And we're just looking at them again, seeing if we can mine some new things for our lives right here in 2021. And uh, the guy that we're going to be dealing with this morning reminded me of someone that I, that I uh, teach about in my class. This is um, a, a play by Henrik Ibsen, a great 19th century uh, Norwegian playwright uh, called An Enemy of the People, and it's about a guy who's like a medical officer of some uh, baths. These are healthy baths that people come to this town uh, for, and um, it's like the lifeblood of the town, right, getting all these tourists in there. And this medical officer discovers that these baths are polluted. He lets the mayor, who's his brother, know about this. His mayor doesn't want to hear it. Uh, he lets the media know. They suppress the knowledge. It's going to cost too much to fix them. It take two years to do it. He keeps trying to press the truth. You know, you got to hear this. It's so important. It's going to. This is a big deal. But they just shut him down, and eventually have this big raucous town meeting where, the, the eventually everybody at the town meeting about by a vote of like 149 to one, vote him to be an enemy of the people. And the only vote on his side is a drunk guy who doesn't even know what the question is. And they trash his house, and they try to run him out of town, and he's just, everybody hates him in the town. And that's basically the story of the guy that we're going to deal with this morning. His name was Elijah, and he was a good man, a good man that everyone hated. And I, I think I can explain why. I think you'll understand it in just a minute, because the first thing we read about the guy, we realize that he had cl- caused climate change and destroyed the economy of his town, okay? So here's the first thing is um, 1 Kings 17, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So he brings this long drought. Now understand... This is like an agrarian economy, right? These people are either farmers or ranchers there, and now they're out of water, right? Nothing's growing. They're, uh, all their jobs are just shot, and uh, their animals are dying, and there's no crops. There's no nothing. He's just brought everything to a big standstill right here because this drought goes on for years. Uh, what was Elijah up to here? Well, what he was doing essentially was he was attacking Israel's favorite religion. See, in the past, Israel had been brought out of Egypt. We heard about that from Doug. Uh, and they had uh, they'd been serving the Lord, Yahweh, you know. They, they knew that he was their deliverer, but they drifted away from that. And uh, as we're going to read right here in 1 Kings 18, it says, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. 
When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. And Israel had run after this God, this Baal, big time. And this was now the favored religion in Israel. And Ahab and his wife Jezebel had promoted this and even gone to the trouble to try to liquidate everybody who represented the Lord. Uh, who is Baal? Baal is just like this fertility religion. And Baal was like the sky god. He was actually the one who they believed sent the rain. Okay, so you see where Elijah's going with this prayer for drought, right? So uh, it was rain for their crops. The Baal religion, Baal was like a male god, and Ashtoreth was the female god, Mother Earth kind of thing. And the religion kind of consisted of trying to simulate the sky god fertilizing or making fertile uh, Mother Earth. So there were temple prostitutes where they would try to simulate that fertility thing. It was a religion of money and sex. It was basically like the American civic religion, isn't it? Right? I mean, that's what we serve in this country, I think, increasingly. It's like our money and then, you know, sexual liberation, big deal here, right, for us. And it's like 99.7% of the people follow this. The reason I, was, I, I came up with that was that uh, Elijah was told by the Lord, there's only 7,000 people in the entire country of 2 million who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 99.7%. So Elijah was basically being divisive. He was going like, nope, we, you need to go back to the Lord, and Baal is a fake. So then Elijah finally confronts the people, and uh, he sets this thing up with the king, and he says to King Ahab, now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. He's going, look, you're paying lip service to the Lord. But he says, essentially, you're following Baal. And how long are you going to try to like waffle between the two? How long are you going to try to have it both ways? You know, this reminded me of uh, a conversation I had once in a grocery store. I was uh, checking out, and there was this woman who was doing the checking out, and she was wearing this cross necklace, but she was also wearing this pentagram necklace. And uh, I was, like, intrigued by that. I mean, here's this pentagram, kind of a symbol of Satanism, and you got this cross at the same time, and I was chatting her up, like I often do with strangers in stores. <laughs> And um, I'm going like, you know what? I, I can't help but notice your jewelry here. I said, you got this pentagram and you got this cross and they seem to be like opposite things. I said, what's the deal here? She goes, hey, you can never have too much luck. You know, and can you see what she's trying to do? She's going like, hey, anything supernatural out there, I'm going to try to draw from it. Kind of a naive, dangerous attitude to have right here. But that was what was going on here in, in Israel. And 
And um, Elijah's going like, look at, stop trying to have it both ways. I mean, I see this also so much in American Christianity too, don't you? Where it's like, we're, we're going like, yeah, yeah, we're following Jesus. But then when it comes to like, say, managing our money, we kind of toss that out the window, you know, and kind of go where, where the culture is leading us here. You know, we, we talk about following Jesus, but our sexual ethics seems to, you know, seems to be tied in more with the way the world operates in that way. The things that we look at on the internet, the way we manage our marriages, it's just, it becomes like we're trying to have it both ways and trying to plot our own course, our own so-called wisdom. I, I think about this guy right here. I don't follow soccer much, but um, this guy is considered to be maybe the top soccer player in the world. Uh, he, you know, he's one of these athletes that just one name, right? like LeBron, okay, so this is Neymar, Brazilian athlete, and uh, he just, in the last year, he signed a contract with this big professional soccer team in Paris called Saint or Paris Saint-Germain Football Club, and he's being paid millions and millions of dollars. Now, this guy is a guy who really identifies as a Christian. In fact, uh, when he was playing in Brazil, he made this statement, he said, a life without being based on the foundation of Jesus Christ is a life that's nothing. You know, he's just a strong, bold guy. But they didn't want that with this Paris club. And so he, is, he signed a contract where he's being paid $630,000 a month. That's more than Martin makes in a year, you know? And he's, and he's getting that kind of money, which is like what? It's a tremendous amount of money right there to avoid religious propaganda that could damage the image and unity of PSGFC. In other words, they're basically, in so many words, saying, we do not want you talking about Jesus. That's divisive. That is, would damage our image and our unity uh, and, and the reputation of our club here in France. So we'll pay you those kind of money, those kind of dollars to, to just shut up about your your spiritual convictions. Now, I understand that's big, you know, the money, right? That's pretty enticing right there. But it's like, hey, which way are you going to go? Are you going to be an honest follower of Jesus here? Or are you going to just be a guy who's following the money? You know, and don't we see that so often in our culture where we're going like, justice, justice, justice. But then if China goes, hey, we want to stamp out the Uyghurs right here, oh, okay, we're going to back off. You know, we're not going to say anything about it. You know, we want it both ways. And we've, we see so much of that, I think, in our own lives as well. Our actions often reveal that we're putting our trust in the things we can see and our culture promotes rather than the promises of God. And this is what Elijah was confronting the people about. He's going, look, look at, be wholehearted. Don't be lukewarm. You know, this is, I'm challenging you here. But they don't say anything. They're going, eh, whatever, you know, speak your peace, pal. Elijah then arranges a contest, and he does it, interestingly enough, on the people's terms. He's going, okay, you trust in what you can see, let's set it up like this. And so he said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on, on the altar, and, but not set fire to it. 
Then call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agree. So they go, cool. So they got these two altars right here, an altar to Baal, an altar to the Lord. And he goes like, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And then what happens is the Baal guys go first. And they start in the morning. And they start calling on their God. They're going, Baal, Baal, answer us. Set fire to our sacrifice. Do it. And they continue to do this. And nothing happens. And then they start like screaming and yelling and they start singing and they start chanting and they're dancing around this altar. And meanwhile, Elijah's having a great time and he's, he's like trash talking them, you know, and he's, he's taunting them. And it says, he goes like, hey, where's Baal? Is he asleep? Do you think he's in the toilet? Hey, did you think he went on a little vacation, went visiting somewhere? What do you think? Where is the guy? You know, I mean, if he was in the NFL, they'd be throwing so many flags for taunting. It'd be like 15 yards, 15 yards, you know, and he's having a great old time, and these people are so infuriated because it, nothing's happening, and it says noon comes, and then in the afternoon, they're getting so desperate, they're slashing themselves, and blood is flowing because they're trying to get the sympathy of, of their God. It's like they've got to earn this thing. They've got to make it happen, and it's not happening. And then finally, it times, it, the time comes for supper, and then they're done, they, it just hasn't worked for them. Baal has just been nowhere. And Elijah gets up and he says, you know what? Let's do it this way. Let's uh, get, there's a spring over here. Get some water. Let's throw water on my sacrifice. Let's make it increasingly difficult for the Lord. Let's give him a real challenge. And they dump gallons and gallons around on the altar and everything. And it says here, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar, and he hasn't been yelling, he hasn't been screaming, he hasn't been dancing, he hasn't been chanting, he hasn't been cutting himself. He just gets up there, and he prays a prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And now we understand his motive, don't we? He wasn't doing this because he was mad at the people. He wasn't doing this because he was vindictive. He wasn't doing this to get attention. He wasn't doing this to amuse himself. He was doing this because he loved these people and he wanted to bring them back to the Lord. And so he goes, Lord, just answer this prayer and do it. And it said at that moment, it was just like fire from the Lord came down from heaven and destroyed this sacrifice. It was like the people are like awed by this whole display. And it says the, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. It burned up the young bull. It burned up the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. You know, I look at this story, and I'm going like, wow, if this didn't work for Elijah, they would have killed him, wouldn't they? I mean, they were infuriated by him, but already there was a contract on his life uh, from the king and the queen. He would have been dead, yet he was so confident. And I ask myself, how did he have the guts to do this, to know that this would happen? You know, the same thing happened in Germany about 1,700 years later. 
there was a missionary from England named Boniface, and uh, he was preaching to people in the Rhineland uh, in 732 A.D., and uh, getting nowhere. They had a kind of a Baal God, same kind of fertility God, uh, thunder God they called him. Sometimes they call him Thor. And they had a sacred tree that was like considered him magic power from the thunder God. And Boniface is getting nowhere preaching the gospel to these people. So one day he just got an ax and he chopped the tree down. And the people are like, don't, if you do this, we are so dead. This is like, oh, no, oh, no. He chopped it down. He's going, nothing happened, did it? This led to a revival where thousands and thousands of people became followers of Jesus, just replicating exactly what had happened back in the days of Elijah. Where did Elijah's confidence come from? It says the earnest, where did Boniface's power come from? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, when I hear that righteous person in the context of prayer, it's like someone whose prayer is like lined up with the will of God, someone who has the heart of God as he's praying. It says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, The sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. You know what? He's a guy just like you and me. And haven't there been times in your life, hasn't there been times where you just had a burden that was heavy on your heart for somebody or some situation, and you just knew that you knew that God was calling you to pray in that situation? You you knew you could pray confidently, knowing you had the will of God. I mean, I've prayed a lot of prayers in my life, but there have been a few times where I just, I knew I had to pray. It was like God was going, like, invite me into this situation. And I think, I think I've told the story here before, but it just brought back to mind again that inc- incident when I was praying about a Britney Spears concert that was coming to Cleveland. I don't know if you remember me talking about this, but it's still, it's, it's like 15 years ago when Britney Spears was big time, She's kind of falling off, right? In our, our day, well, it was inevitable, right? But what, what happened here was it, it started on a, on a morning where I was sitting at the table and I was reading a plain dealer. This was back when the plain dealer was an actual newspaper, right? And there was like this picture on the front cover of it and there were these three little girls, just innocent looking little girls and they're all like happy and smiling and the headline is these was, had to do with the fact these girls were all excited because Britney Spears was coming to do a concert here. And I remember how infuriated I was. Just so upset because I thought this is such a sleazy thing that's going to be going on in these little kids. I mean, this is like millstone time where you're just corrupting the youth. I thought, this should not happen. I remember how angry I was. You know, I was more angry than I get with the Browns. And it was just like... <laughs> I can't stand this. And I just began to pray about that and pray. And I would go to all my friends and go, you've got to pray against this concert. It's horrible. It's evil. It's wicked. These three, and I tell them about the three little girls, you know, and they'd look perplexed, you know, but they, they did. They prayed. And I still remember this, that on, on April 2nd, she canceled the concert. You know, it was like she had the flu. 
and couldn't go forward. Even while people were filing in, they go, oh, sorry, it's, it's all canceled. I remember telling this to my class, and I remember a kid in my class going like, you were praying against that concert? He's going, I was in that line going into that. I said, you shouldn't have been there. I said, I did you a favor. You should be thanking me for this. So then I thought, hey, they rescheduled this thing uh, for June 29th. And I remember going, ah, I'm on a roll here. There's no way. I prayed some more. It was just like, and then um, it said, you know, she fell off the stage or something. I don't know. She twisted her ankle or something. I mean, she made $34 million. Don't feel sorry for her. But she had to cancel that, that thing. It never occurred. Now, she probably came back to Cleveland again, and, but it wasn't like I was stirred then. But you know what I'm saying? There are these times where, the Lord, for whatever reason, the Lord's going, you know, you pray there. You pray there for that. Do, do that. And I think, I was just talking to uh, Amy Justice last night about this. And she said, you know what? I've gotten into the habit now that when somebody comes to my mind, I may be working in the kitchen or doing something, you know, at work or something, and somebody comes into my mind and I start thinking about them. And she said, I, start, I go right away to pray about them. I thought, that's pretty cool. It just reminded me of this one time where I was telling my wife, um, I'm going, like, hey, I was driving back from BW, and I got behind an ambulance, and the ambulance is rolling along there, and it tripped every light green. And I thought, this is so cool. I just was all the way up to the 70, you know, up to 71. It was like, it was sweet. She said, well, did you pray for the person in the ambulance? I'm going, No. I'm going, and then I realized, wait a minute, there was somebody in there. They were hurting, <laughs> you know. They were, I, I never thought about, but I should have been praying for them, you know. And she, Amy said, you know, my dad always taught us, you know, when you see an ambulance, pray for that person in the ambulance. You know, it's just the Lord's heart. And I think Elijah had that, and that's why he had that confidence to go up against these guys who hated him and wanted to kill him. Well, after this happens this contest, then he gets down on his hands and knees and he, and he starts praying for rain and the sky is blue and cloudless and he sends his servant seven times, is there any clouds? No. Is there any clouds? No. Any clouds? No. And then finally the servant comes back the seventh time. He says, I see a tiny little cloud on the horizon. And then it says, Elijah shouted then, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. That was a capital. You know how far that was? 26 miles. Ran a marathon. You know what? He was, here he spent the entire day you know, taunting and setting up this contest and then finally seeing this thing happen and praying about that. And now he's got the strength to fly here. This guy was on a high, wasn't he? And there are times in our lives as believers where it's like the Lord puts us on the mountaintop, doesn't he? I mean, there are times where we see a, a prayer answered or we're getting a blessing, we've been healed we get this great job. It's like that we've been praying for. We see someone in our family bow the knee to the Lord after all this time that we've been praying for them and worrying about them. And we're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And we're just like 
jacked, you know, we're just in the, in the heavens, and it's just like, and Elijah had a day like that where he could just fly 26 miles to town after this thing happened. It was great. And then came the crash. And doesn't that happen sometimes after those moments of great times, all of a sudden we're down in the valley again. And that's what happened to Elijah because there are times in our life with the Lord there are high times, but there are low times too. And it says, when Ahab got home, he told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. She goes, I, I swear that you're going to be dead. And then it says... Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, so he flees south, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. 24 hours, right? He was at the highest height the biggest point of his life, the peak experience. And in 24 hours, he's going, I want to die. He feels that low. And now here he is in the wilderness, just under this tree, exhausted. And I want to show you, oh, I just wanted to give you a parallel here. John Krakauer writes about travel. And uh, he's a guy who has been a mountain climber his whole life. And his goal was to climb Mount Everest. And one day, he finally made it. Uh, By the time he got to the the summit of Mount Everest, 29,000 plus feet up there. He had not slept for 57 hours, and he had subsisted in the last couple of days just on ramen noodles and um, uh, M- uh, peanut M&Ms. And he makes it up to the top, and he's barely breathing. And he said, reaching the top of Everest is supposed to trigger a surge of intense elation. Against long odds, I had just attained a goal I had coveted since childhood. But the summit was only the halfway point. Any impulse I might have felt toward self-congratulation was extinguished by the overwhelming apprehension about the long, dangerous descent that laid ahead. You know, you get to the top, and now all of a sudden you realize you've got to go down. And I wanted to just show you here from chapter 19 how to descend the mountain, how to make it down when you know you're, you're, you're crashing right here. And I want to show you five things that, that God led um, uh, Elijah to do. And the first thing is to take care of yourself physically. So it said he lay down and he slept under a broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel touched him after a while and told him, hey, get up and eat some more. It was like God cooked a meal for him. And he goes like, look, you got to eat, you got to sleep, you got to get hydrated. So he took care of himself physically. And then he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. Second thing we got to do when we're going down a mountain is we got to go to where the word of God is. You know, one of the dumbest things that we do sometimes when things get low, when we know we've fallen away, 
when we've, you know, we've suffered sorrow in our lives, the loss of a loved one, or we've lost our job, or things get really bad, and we're so depressed. We go like, I'm so depressed, I don't think I can drag myself to church. Dumb. That's really dumb. This is the best place to be when you're so low that you don't want to be here. Because you get a chance here to fellowship with believers. You get a chance to hear from the word of God, to be encouraged with the truth instead of all those lies and discouragements that Satan is pounding your brain with. And Elijah went to Mount Sinai. He thought, God's, God, I want to be where God is. And then the third thing was to tell God, God honestly how you feel. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's going to feel so low. I just, I'm a failure, God. He told God, honestly. And then God said, okay, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And this is something I think we should expect, that even in our lowest times, God is going to reveal himself so go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his scarf and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. You know, what's going on here? What, what about this whisper? You know what I think it is? It's like an earthquake, a windstorm, a firestorm. I mean, these are big things, but they're experienced at a distance, right? But the only way that you can hear somebody whispering is what? They're standing right next to you. And God is saying to Elijah, look, don't be like those people that you just yelled at before and try to find me in all those external circumstances. But trust my promise that I am with you. I am with you. I think we, like Elijah, need to keep learning to trust the Lord's promise that he's with us instead of looking at our circumstances. I mean, hasn't this happened to you where you're going like, you're, things have gone so bad. Maybe it's with your job or your health. You just can't shake something. You've been praying and praying or maybe you've been praying for a loved one and nothing is happening there. And you're going, God, where are you? Where are you? And you look at the failures in your life and the circumstances there and you're going, I don't see God. And God's going, hey, don't look to those things. Don't look to your feelings. But trust my promise you know, Jesus has promised us, he said, I am with you always. It means he has not left your side, even in those times he, you thought he was far away. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he was close enough to Elijah that he could just whisper, and Elijah could hear that voice, and Elijah goes, whoa, I've lost sight of this. I've been looking in the wrong places right here. And finally, be open to what God is telling you because sometimes in these times, he's like reorienting us. And here God says, hey, go back the same way you came 
and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, that's Syria. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, of the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. He's going, got a job for you yet. You go and do that. Don't just stay there and wallow in your own self-pity. You got work to do, guy, and do that. Start thinking outside of yourself right here. I just wanted to close with this. I'm reading this book right now. It's just a great book by uh, Ross Douthat, who is a columnist for the New York Times. He's a Christian man. And uh, in 2015, he got bitten by a deer tick. He got Lyme's disease. And he ended up, he still has Lyme's disease. He can't shake this thing. And it's like, it's the inflammation and the fatigue and everything. It's like, you know, it's tons worse than a lot of the stuff that we're afraid of. And he's just going like, what, Lord, what's going on here? And he talks about this time, uh, just read this, where he was in an airport flying someplace and he ran into a, a Benedictine monk and they started talking while they're waiting for to be able to get on the plane. And uh, he started talking about his situation and he started sobbing. It was just so discouraging. And the monk put his arm around Ross and he prayed for him and prayed for his healing. And then the monk said, you know, sometimes when we pray prayers like this, they don't get answered the way that we want. And he said this, suffering is a gift. It's not something just to wish away or run from. It's there for cleansing, refinement, redirection if you've wandered onto the wrong path. And if you're on the right path, doing important work, well, then you should expect some demonic attacks from time to time. It's wise advice, isn't it? Something that Elijah was learning as he went through this valley experience that he had. And I guess the story of Elijah for me, and maybe it will be for you too this morning, is that you know there are times where the Lord lifts us up and he's answering those prayers. And in those times, yeah, he's with us and we, we sense that, we know that, and we just praise him for those times, just like Elijah did. He was, you know, he was on the case for the Lord. But then there are times where we get down in the valley and things aren't going so well and prayers aren't being answered and the, all the circumstances we look at are just like, where are you, Lord? And at those time, times, the Lord is with us too. And he's doing a mighty work in those times as well. He's doing these great things in our lives. He's carrying us through. He's the one who will never leave us or forsake us. So let, let's pray about that. Father, I, we come to you this morning, and we just want to thank you for those blessings that you have put in our lives, the ones that just make us feel like we could run uh, 26 miles and do that marathon like Elijah did. And we thank you for giving us important things to do and people in our lives that you're wanting us to pray for and, and lift up and, and minister to. Uh, just help us to be faithful in those things. And Lord, you've also seen us walk in the, in the valleys. And there are some right here this morning that are really suffering, whether it's chronic things that are pain and suffering going on in their lives or disappointments or relationship problems. Lord, just help us in those times to be faithful to you, to be wholehearted in our, 
in our walk with you, but also to trust you. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to reveal your presence in our lives and to build that faith and that trust in our hearts that no matter what the circumstances, we can walk with you and, and, and trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.